0: Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Do you invest in precious metals or mining? There are some risks involved, but done well, the rewards can be lucrative. This is the Mining Stock Report. A look at today's investing with a focus on mining and gold. Your host is Christopher Haugen. We'll speak to the experts and the leaders, as well as bring you tips on investing, best practices, and more. Now, here's Christopher Haugen.
2: Welcome, everyone, to the premier episode of the Mining Stock Report on the Voice America Network. I'm your host for the next hour, Christopher Haugen, and I'm excited about the show we have for you today. Before we get things rolling, I'd like to point out that I'm also the Managing Editor of a financial newsletter called miningstockreport.com. Subscribers to a newsletter receive reports, research, news, and updates on all the companies that I'm currently covering. The newsletter also covers a variety of economic and political discussions that relate directly to the mining investment market. Much of the discussion in the newsletter is also there to complement the core topics of each show. We encourage everyone listening to take advantage of the resources of our website, miningstockreport.com, and sign up to begin receiving our newsletter. Okay, so let's talk about what we have in store for you today. First up, we speak with James Anderson of New Legacy Gold about the discovery of a new Carlin-type deposit in Nevada. Then later in the show, we talk with Peter Espig, the president of Nicola Mining. And finally, we'll close out the hour by talking tips on how to separate the monsters from the zombies. That's right, how to identify real monster opportunities in the mining market while avoiding those dreaded zombie miners, through simple, methodical due diligence. So without further ado, let's get things rolling. I'd like to welcome to the show James Anderson, the CEO of New Legacy Gold Corp. Uh, New Legacy trades on the TSX venture under the ticker symbol NUG, and in the US over the counter under NULGF. Uh, I've known James for several years and consider him to be a very good friend of mine. Uh, New Legacy Gold is a gold exploration company that is focused on the Cortez Trend property located in Nevada. Uh, It's in close proximity to uh, Barrick's Gold Rush deposit. Welcome to the show, James. We are good friends and thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. Now, for the sake of our listeners, could you give our audience just a little bit of a background about yourself and how you got involved with New Legacy Gold? Sure. I was in the brokerage business in Vancouver, Canada for many years and as part
3: of the the brokerage community here in Vancouver, one of the the sort of subsets of the brokerage community is we finance junior mining exploration all over the world. It's one of the things that the brokerage community in Canada does very, very well and kind of uniquely because there is no other facility worldwide to do that. So I was involved with that for many years. Uh, I got out of the brokerage business. And in 2012, New Legacy Gold, which at the time uh, was run by a very long-term friend of mine, Albert Matter, who you know, Chris. Yes. And in 2012, New Legacy drilled a discovery hole onto this project that we were uh, exploring in Nevada. And that drill hole, our hole six on this property, returned 27 meters Mm -hmm. of 1.4 grams of gold. And that's very, very good. But more importantly, the head geologist that we have working with us, Roger Steiniger, was able to identify that as Carlin-type gold mineralization. And Carlin systems in Nevada can be very, very large. So uh, I met with Albert. Albert and I agreed that I should join the, the the company as CEO.
2: Albert became chairman, and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> well, before we get into your, uh, I guess your recent drill program, uh, which I want to talk about perhaps we could talk a little about the Cortez trend and why this is so significant to the company so in most parts of the
3: world gold deposits do not happen just one at a time they almost always happen um, in trends or in in areas where you get a whole bunch of of gold deposits Mm -hmm. and that's where we explore I mean it's it's a little bit let's say in the in the oil and gas business um, we explore for oil and gas in West Texas Uh, You don't necessarily explore for oil and gas in other parts of of the world. There's not very much oil production in Hawaii, let's say. Uh, So in Nevada, which is a very large and important gold mining jurisdiction, if Nevada was its own country, it would be the fifth largest gold-producing nation in the world. So there's lots and lots of gold that's produced there. Most of that gold, though, happens in these Carlin-type gold systems that I've been referring to, and they, they are named after the small town of Carlin in this part of Nevada and then there are several trends that uh, happen generally on a northwest to southeast basis through the state the most famous one is the Carlin trend and it's most famous because the, the there is more gold that has been discovered and produced there than anywhere other area and it's a little bit older we're working in the Cortez trend which mm-hmm. is just south of the Carlin trend um, the the discovery of the large deposits has been a little bit later than in Carlin, but arguably the deposits that are that exist in in Cortez are even more robust, have more gold, and at a higher grade than even some of the uh, the best
2: Carlin deposits in wow. in the Carlin trend. Wow, that's uh, and for the listeners, if you want to, you can actually download. Uh, we have. A map of the region so you can get a better idea of where they're located in relation to other companies and and the Cortez and the Carlin Trends. I'd like to discuss both the iceberg and uh, avocado deposits uh, because you've been really active uh, lately with your exploration. There was some recent news regarding the newly discovered avocado deposit that you had a significant that's really had a significant impact on your share price and trading volume. Um, Could you elaborate a little bit on this and what's what's been going on there? Sure, so during the
3: the downturn in gold for the last few years up until the beginning of 2016 we chose to expend almost all of our exploration dollars on what we call our iceberg deposit. So named because when we got the initial drill results we felt that it might be just the tip of the iceberg in in the whole deposit area. So we, we focused on that, spent most of our money there. Um, this year however We've chosen, because uh, we've got a little bit more money in our treasury, we've chosen to drill some exploration holes, some real wildcat holes, if you will, on different portions of this very large project that we have. So it's the, the project itself is 38 square miles in size. Uh, for those of you who, who are happier with metric, it's 98 square kilometers. Uh, But nonetheless, a very large area, and we've been able to go out and, and test some of these other areas. One of them is called Avocado. It's called Avocado because, in plan view, the induced polarization geophysical anomaly that we were drilling kind of looks like a sliced (laughs) avocado so i called it avocado a number of years ago and the name stuck so uh, regardless we drilled our second exploration hole into that this year our second and third exploration hole both of them came up with very important gold mineralization in a completely new area that's about a mile and a half north of iceberg where we've been spending our money and getting very very good results the first uh, of these two holes which is our avocado hole number two Got a 200 meters, so it's a 655 foot interval of gold mineralization. It's at a quarter of a gram per ton, so it's fairly low grade. And some people will look at it and say, "Well, it's you know it's only a quarter of a gram, you know it doesn't you know quite maybe make the 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 economic grade." But having 655 feet of continuous gold mineralization in just the second hole that we've drilled out there, that's very very important. And our geological staff headed by Roger Steininger feels that feels quite strongly that we are likely to be just on the periphery of another gold deposit there the the next drill hole that we drilled out there got 25 meters of a gram uh-huh. so the the grade has already started to improve significantly yes and that one was 650 meters so about 2100 feet away from the the, the other drill hole so we've already established a, a very large area. It's virgin territory out there. There's
2: almost no historical drilling. So it's a blank canvas, and we're, we're very excited about it. Well, that's, that's great to hear. Um, now, aside from Avocado, New Legacy has also been working uh, on their iceberg deposit for the past several drill seasons. Um, please tell us what's going on with iceberg and how the exploration company, uh, sorry, exploration program has been progressing.
3: So once again, we've been spending most of our money over the last few years at Iceberg. We've drilled, as we speak, uh, almost a hundred drill holes into Iceberg. And there's about eight or ten drill holes that are out for assay yep. currently, and and you know we'll see the how much gold those ones have in them. But generally speaking,
2: you'll be drilling into to November, uh, am I correct?
3: Th- yeah, that's correct. We we actually had three drills turning on the property a little bit earlier, but what we found is that we were getting the 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 data back or the the we were drilling so quickly that the data was coming back too slowly for us to be able to adjust our drill patterns so currently we've just got one drill turning on the property and we'll we'll likely go in that direction for the next couple months but back to iceberg iceberg is a gold deposit that's about three kilometers long up to 500 meters wide the north zone and central zone is where we've been concentrating there's a south zone to it as well. We've drilled about a half dozen holes into that. The first couple were very good. The next few weren't so good, so we've kind of put that on the back burner for a while. But at North and Central Zone we get good, consistent carlin type mineralization. It's all oxidized. Mm-hmm. And for your listeners, um, if I can just detail that for a moment, it makes a big, big difference in Nevada whether the mineralization is oxidized or sulfide. Ours is all oxidized, and what that means is that the good Lord has done a lot of your processing for you. You're able to take that material, put it on a leach pad, uh, put some cyanide on it, come back 30 or 60 days later, and you're mining gold. So it's all oxidized, it's near surface, and it's very good grade. This is likely to be a very robust um,
2: gold deposit for mining in the op- in the you know in in the years ahead. Uh, and again, now is uh, because it's oxidized, does that make it more economical? It, it certainly does. Um, if it's not oxidized, then you have to take
3: the material and put it through either a roaster or an autoclave. Okay. It's uh, very capital intensive. In Nevada, despite the fact that uh, the it's such a great gold mining jurisdiction, really there's just Newmont and Barrick who have the big autoclaves. So...
2: To to not have to go down that route, I think will be very beneficial for us. Okay, now we've talked about uh, avocado and iceberg, um, but this really is a large exploration property. Um, could you speak uh, to the size of the property and why this is such a unique feature for for New Legacy? Yeah, it is. So
3: it's it's thirty eight square miles. So let's you know let's think about that for a second. Um, if you drive four miles in one direction. Stop. Turn right, and then drive for 10 miles <laughs> and make it square. It's a very, very big property. Yeah. We have the second largest land holdings in the Cortez Trend after our one of our major shareholders, Barrick Gold. Yes. Um, Barrick mines almost a million ounces of gold from the Cortez Trend per year. Wow. Think about that for a second. It's 20 percent of the largest gold mining company in the world. gets its production right from here but to the size of our property um, we've probably only explored about 10 (coughs) percent pardon me of the whole surface area Mm
0: -hmm.
3: of the of the
2: land package so we will be exploring there for many many years to come Okay. now you mentioned Barrick being a shareholder you guys have built a really strong uh, shareholder base that includes a number of large mining companies and institutional investors Perhaps you could tell our audience a little about about this and why it's such an asset for New Legacy. I think it's a
3: testament to the quality of the project, the size of the project and the the drill results that we've been getting over the last few years that we've managed to attract so many strong shareholders to the company. So our largest shareholder currently is Oceana Gold. Oceana is a mid-size Australian gold mining company. They have a corporate mandate to expand more in the Americas and part of their investment in us that uh, is uh, a reflection of that. Oceana uh, currently owns 17.5% of our company. They've been very, very helpful, very supportive of our exploration efforts. Barrick Gold, that's the largest gold mining company in the world, yep. and uh, very active in, in the Cortez. As a matter of fact, on the highway leading into Cortez, there's billboards that say Barrick Gold Mining Country. So you, <laughs> you, know, you know you're in Barrick Gold Mining Country when you see that. Uh, but they own 11.5%, 11.8% of our company currently. Oh. Uh, Rob Kretschmeroff, who is Barrick's head of global exploration, has joined our board. So again, uh, just a reflection on what the exploration people at Barrick think of our project and of our exploration efforts. Uh, I guess well one one last one. Uh, again, very supportive, very helpful um, shareholder. Tocqueville Gold Fund from New yes. York. Uh, it's one of the premier... Gold mutual funds in the world, and uh, they've been very supportive of our efforts as well. Uh, that's
2: great to hear. And um, and what's the current cash position of the company?
3: It's about thirteen million Canadian dollars, so about ten million U.S. dollars.
2: And what's the uh, current estimated market cap for the company? About ninety million U.S. dollars. Okay. Uh, so aside from the experience you've had in the Cortez Trend, um, what are your thoughts regarding operations within the state of Nevada? Well, I was born in
3: Timmins, Ontario, and Timmins, Ontario is a small city in, in Northern Ontario, Canada. It's mining country. Mm-hmm. There's gold mines and base metal mines all over the place. And the people of Timmins like mining. It is, they are miners, it is considered great economic activity to provide metals to the world marketplace. A lot of places in the world don't view it like that. A yeah. lot of places in the world view it as um, uh, an environmental problem. They don't see a, uh, a small open pit on a hill as economic activity. They see it as a, a blight. Mm-hmm. And the people of northern Nevada, they like mining. There's a lot of people who make a very, very good living from mining in northern Nevada. You can... You can get permits to explore in Nevada easily. There is, there is a rule of law and a permitting structure that works. Yep. It's not, uh, you know, it's, it, it's not crazy easy to be able to get these permits. There is a robust permitting process, but it's knowable. We know what we need to do to present to the regulators the permitting process, and we go about that. But you can permit in Nevada, you can explore in Nevada, you can mine in Nevada. So all of those things lead us as, a, as an exploration company to be driven towards Nevada. If we find a really large gold deposit here, yeah. our shareholders deserve to have the financial benefit of being skillful enough and lucky enough to be able to pull that off. Mm-hmm. There are lots of places in the world where as soon as you find yes a big deposit,
2: then there is some general or some colonel. In charge, who will steal that deposit from you? Yeah, absolutely. Political stability is a huge is a huge factor, I think, for these exploration companies. Uh, uh,
3: I think it? I think so because again, the, this the 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 gold exploration business is difficult enough without having that asset stolen from you at the end of the day. So we we love Nevada. It's a great place to do business. The people of Nevada are are, are excellent. Uh, they're miners and we just enjoy working there. And, they, and the infrastructure in and out of the property is... Well, that too is true. Um, you can drive a Chevette right <laughs> in the middle of our property. Uh, there are two paved highways to within about a 15 or 20 minute drive. Okay. There are three... Well, there are two enormous gold mines within a 15 or 20 minute drive. So, the availability of, of mining labor, the availability of electricity, water, um, first world amenities, it's, it, it yeah. is beyond compare to mining anywhere else in the world as far as I'm concerned.
2: Now, I know that uh, New Legacies worked really hard to build a strong management team, both on, on, on the board, out on the field, and even in their uh, an advisory capacity. Could you tell us a little about your team and, and the strategy you've had there? Well, again, this
3: asset has managed to attract a lot of good people. Uh, let me, I won't be able to name everybody that's associated with the, the company, but l- let me start with my business partner and our chairman, Albert Matter. Yeah. Uh, Albert I've known for many, many years. Albert has many talents, but one of his very unique abilities is to be able to negotiate with big mining companies as well as anybody I know. Mm-hmm. This used to be one of Barrick's exploration projects. Yes. We ended up negotiating an exploration deal where we were going to earn a 70% interest and we managed to catch our friends at Barrack at a time last year when they were very focused on reducing their the, the the debt associated with their balance sheet and straightening up their balance sheet a little bit so at that time we approached them to buy the residual 30% that of the project that we did not already own so now we have 100% of it and a lot of that magic uh, just comes from Albert's Innate ability to negotiate with big mining companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger Steiniger, who's our other partner, head of head head of exploration for our company, based in Reno, Nevada. Uh, Roger has a an encyclopedic knowledge of every square inch of Nevada. What's going on in terms of exploration mm-hmm. uh, on on various places in Nevada for thirty years. He's very imaginative in terms of his exploration process. Um, it been you know, fabulous to work with him. Alex Davidson is on our board. Alex was head of exploration for Barrick for many, many years. Uh, he sits on the board of Yamana, which is another large mining company, but is on our board as well. And Alex is there because he believes, like we do, that we might be on to the next giant deposit in the Cortez trent and he he finds that
2: very exciting, just as as the rest of us do. Now, you mentioned Roger Steiniger just to go back for a second. He's credited with finding one of Barrick's mines in this region, is it not? That's
3: correct. And if I if I did not mention that already, how dare I? <laughs> uh, Roger is credited with the discovery of three gold deposits in the Western United States, which uh, is very unusual for for any geologist. Uh, But he's also credited with the discovery and and drilled all the first holes at the pipeline deposit, which is right—it's about 25 miles away from where we're working. Mm -hmm. Same geological environment, so Roger knows the rocks in this area as well as anybody, uh, and has continued success,
2: continued exploration success all through his career. Before we go, I'd like to get your thoughts on the resurgence of the gold market this year and the dramatic effect it's had on many of the gold stocks out there. What are you thinking here that this trend will continue and uh, how do you see gold over the, say, the next couple of years? Well, for your listeners, I guess one thing that I should point out that
3: uh, I might view gold just slightly differently than some people. Some people view gold as a commodity. Mm -hmm. Well, gold is not a commodity, certainly not a regular commodity because we really don't consume it. About 95% of all of the gold that's ever been mined in the world still exists. Gold is a currency. And in a lot of ways, it's the perfect currency. And it's the perfect currency because governments cannot bastardize it. They cannot print it up out of thin air and distribute it. In the United States, but also throughout the world right now, we have a situation which is unparalleled, really, uh, in world history, where every currency, every governmental, government-issued fiat currency on the planet
2: is being diluted and bastardized as we go forward so in many cases even as a strategy an economic strategy of of these governments
3: they're not they're they're not hiding
2: this really it's it's you know it's it's hiding
3: in plain view (laughs) is what it is so our, our Japanese friends for instance they've had interest rates that are close to zero for two decades now they have had quantitative easing where the central bank in Japan simply prints up money out of thin air Mm -hmm. and buys government bonds. But now they've gone past that, and they're taking their newly fresh printed yen, and now they're buying equities. The the central bank in Japan is now a top five holder of the biggest 20 companies in Japan. How you unravel that Mm -hmm. is beyond me. I have no idea why there's still a bid on Japanese yen Yeah. Is beyond me as well. But in Europe, the same thing. Um, Their central banker, Mario Draghi, has been debasing the euro for some time now. The quantitative easing program that they're engaged in right now is 2 billion euros a day. It's incredible. And the United States, we've had three um, rounds of quantitative easing. They've stepped away from that right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Will they continue to raise interest rates? I don't see how the Fed can raise interest rates in a world environment where we have negative interest rates. So one way or another, uh, I I have all the confidence in the world, in central bankers and in politicians, that they will continue to destroy the value of... Fiat currencies. Fiat currencies and government-issued currencies. That's where gold comes in. Gold stands as a currency beyond that. And I think... Going forward, at least for the next few years, I don't really see very much that can hurt gold. I think that gold can be can be very, very can be, can be well supported in this financial
2: environment. James, thanks for joining us today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. The pleasure is mine. Thanks for inviting me, Chris. I, I can't wait to do it again. We've been speaking with James Anderson, the CEO of New Legacy Gold. New Legacy trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the ticker symbol NUG or over-the-counter in the the United States under the symbol N-U-L-G-F. If you'd like more information on New Legacy Gold, we encourage you to check out our website, miningstockreport.com, or go to newlegacygold.com. We always advise people to perform their own due diligence, so if you have a question about this interview or New Legacy directly, call their Investor Relations contact. When we get back from the break... We'll be talking to Peter Espig of Nicola Mining about his recent drill program and their production facility in Merritt, B.C. You're listening to the Mining Stock Report on the Voice America Network.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice
5: New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth-largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrick Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more. NewLegacyGold.com. That's N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Again, N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com.
1: You are listening to The Mining Stock Report with Christopher Haugen. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to host at miningstockreport.com. Again, that's host at miningstockreport.com. Now, back to this
2: week's show. Welcome back to The Mining Stock Report. I'm your host, Christopher Haugen, and we're about to speak with Peter Espig of Nicola Mining. I've had the pleasure of knowing Peter for a few years now, and have been watching Nicola Mining in that time. Nicholas, is based in Merritt, British Columbia, and is a rather unique story. The company has a production facility to process both gold and silver. It's also actively exploring their Thule copper property, and it's found a rather creative alternative for utilizing their current assets to generate additional revenues. Nicholas trades on the TSX Venture under the ticker symbol NIM and over-the-counter in the United States under the symbol HUSIF. Thank you peter for taking the time to join us here today thanks a lot for having me um peter could you just tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how it is you got involved with nicola mining i think my my relationship uh with nicola mining is is in
6: a way i consider it to be destiny i you know when i was a young teenager living in Cannabis, british columbia I, i started working on the diamond drill rigs and spent you know eight years working on uh, projects in northern British Columbia Yukon Northwest Territory Saskatchewan mm-hmm. and so uh, kind of I, I don't want to I guess I always had mining in my blood and but um, after graduating from University of British Columbia from UBC I went to work in Asia spent uh, quite a bit of my time in Japan and then after took a uh, went and did my MBA I was a Chase an International Scholar at uh, Columbia University and then uh, started a career in finance and, and had a very fortunate career where I you know I've been able to work for Goldman Sachs uh, Olympus Capital private equity and and started developing a career in in distress turnaround and uh, in 2006 I was uh, start, worked on on SPACs which are special acquisition okay. companies and and in 2008 decided you know I've had a good career and it was time to come back to British Columbia and we came back mainly because our, our children grew up in Japanese schools and couldn't speak English so we moved to Vancouver and and me being the person uh, that I am I, ca- I can't just can't sit in a rocking chair and became I was a independent director with uh, Halder Silver at the time and Halder Silver uh, when when the company went into distress the the secured uh, debt holders, the unsecured debenture holders, and the shareholders asked if I could step and take over the
2: role of CEO, and that's that's how I got to where I am now. That's a, that sounds like an interesting uh, segue into, into Nicola, um, which again, the company's been really active in recent years. Uh, I've noticed uh, their most recent press release out, I guess, September 7th. You guys just complete, completed a 5-hole, 1,000-meter drill program up at the Thule Copper Property. Um, which was highlighted by an 85-plus-meter intersection grading over a percent. Can you tell us a little bit about the significance of this program and the results?
6: Well, I I would say that the the program was very significant, and I think that what people don't understand, and and I'll be honest, I I don't think we even understood what we had when we first... um, not yep. only hit on the on the eight, 85 meters of 1.1 percent, but also on the on the Titan Queen. So, yeah, because they are two very separate drill holes or or targets the, at, at the that were route. under the same program. Yep. So we kind of, you know, in British in, in on the TSX venture, you often hear stories of where companies will go in and they'll drill something up that they that's already been drilled mm-hmm. because they want the results to move the sto- equity price or the stock price. Well this is very different and we were very fortunate because we had first of all uh, our uh, geologist Brian May who was very uh, significant in, in bringing this program forward and we also had Paul Johnson who was the former mm-hmm. principal geologist of Tech Resources join our board and the two of them had a lot of knowledge on the property. Brian, had, Brian May had been on, involved in the property in, in with um, uh, Christopher James. Christopher James, that's right. And so they had a very clear image of the potential. And so, and, and to, before I get into talking about the results, I think that you have to understand that we are on the highest grade open pit copper site in North American history. And so, which is the old Craigmont mine. The old Craigmont, okay. So what, but the unique thing about Craigmont mine is it sits on what's called the Highland Valley Fault. Mm -hmm. The Highland Valley Fault is a fault that goes directly from Highland Valley to our property. And so, and we're on the same batholith. We're on the same, uh, let's call it genetic structure of the Highland Valley zone. But perhaps the difference is, is that it seems that the structure the grades are higher as we get onto our property but one of the unique characteristics that we now know that nobody knew back then because you know there has been a lot of drilling done on the Highland Valley side and there has been very little exploration done on our side Mm -hmm. over the past 20 years so what they what they have come to know on the Highland Valley side of the Batholith is that the Batholith itself moved three kilometers So there was three-kilometer movement on the batholith, And if you look in the old Craigmont pit, which had an average grade of 1.28% copper in the pit, it's actually, the grades were higher because that was the grade of the mine itself, but there's a fault that goes through through that pit. And on one side of the fault, there is actually no mineralization. And the reason is because that fault moved. And that's where we went to the three kilometer movement Mm -hmm. of the structure. So we had a feeling that, you know, we, we, you know, you don't, we knew which direction it was. And with electromagnetic survey, which uh, we we did on the property. Now, the electromagnetic survey doesn't seem to work that well over the batholith because there is a Kingsville rock, which seems to, uh, make it a little bit, de- you, for example, you can't do IP survey on the batholith, But we had a very, very precise thought of where that continuation of the Craigmont vein, let's call it the mm-hmm. Craigmont vein was. And so we, we were, uh, you know, and, and kudos to the guys who put the program together. They were essentially within one meter of where the target zone was. We hit it exact you know within one meter of where we expected it to be. And I think one thing that uh, has to be that I have to really emphasize is that you can drill along a fault, along the mineralization the whole way. Yes. That's not what we did. We drilled through the mineralization and through the fault. So that is probably you know as significant as one point one percent over eighty-five meters is It's the fact that we were able to define where the zone is because we drilled through the zone, through the fault, and now we're able to look at it and and plan towards a a program for next year, which we will, which we expect to do. And so we were very, very excited about the result. Um, And and we're also, you know, it it puts into, you know, in, in the 80s, when you go back to the '80s and you, and you look at the difference between the technology that we have now and that they did back then, in the '80s, they, they were smart enough to understand that if they kept putting the shaft in or the, the a level, yep. that they would essentially eventually hit that zone. And that's exactly what they did, and they went and they went underground. so but the unique thing is that they never actually reached it. They were about 150 meters away from reaching the zone. And so,
2: had they gone another 150 meters, they would have hit exactly what we drilled. That's, that's an, that's a, it's, it's actually kind of interesting because I have been on the property and I got a chance to see some of the, uh, which there are some photos that you can see on the website from, from our visit. Um, you can see a lot of the, the rock and exactly exactly what you described with regards to seeing where you've hit the zone and where it goes, goes basically right through. Yes. Um, now you did mention the Craigmont mine, and you mentioned a little bit about it. But could you give our listeners a little bit of a background as to why this is so significant to Nicola Mining and uh, basically the Thule property? So the, the Craigmont mine was a high-grade open pit copper mine in
6: on our site, Thule Copper, and so <clears throat> and they in the between 1962 to the 80s they mined about 34 million tons of material and close to a billion pounds of copper came out of that open pit <laughs> and at the time it, it, they had the largest con- longest conveyor belt in the world it was uh, a flagship mi- Canadian mine and you know th- there is the old saying that you know the best place to look for a new mine is on the side of an old mine and this is what we have. Now, one of the reasons, and the question I get asked all the time as well, why didn't they do exploration uh, to find the vein? Or why did they not uh, keep looking for more uh, copper in different areas in the property? Because we have close to 10,000 hectares. We've got a very, very large site that is fairly unexplored, except for the right around where the the open pit was. And so the answer to that is that Back in the 80s, there was no... They didn't have electromagnetic surveys. They couldn't fly over properties to do those mm-hmm. readings. And they they also had a, a copper price of $0.60 cents a pound. So at $0.60 cents a pound, the old Craigmont operation at the time, they were not even interested in 1 to 1.2% copper. The historic cutoff grade was 0.7%. So, and how they, they would... L- Judge whether that what whether the copper itself was, uh, you know that when they went into the underground, they were actually yep. following a vein that was four to six percent, and they could they would tell that visually. So if it didn't look like it was carrying three percent copper, they wouldn't even assay it. And so we ha- we actually have old core that looks like it's going to be bare bare one percent plus copper, wow. and yet it's never been assayed because it wasn't economical at the time. Now we know that. Mining costs have, you know, labor costs have been somewhat, uh, they haven't gone up nearly as quickly as the cost of, of the price of copper, and mining techniques have become more efficient. So, what at the time, in the 80s, where it cost them 60 cents to mine, and mm-hmm. copper was at 60 cents, so didn't make economic sense it's very different now and the the Kingsvale rock which is on top is actually very difficult to drill through so it kind of it
2: act it's acted as a buffer for years so where do we go from here um, what are the company's plans for further exploration at Thule say over the next 12 to 24 months
6: well I, I would like to answer that in in two two parts so because first of all there's a difference between what is the company's plans and what is the company's expiration plans. So we are not we should not be viewed as an expiration company. We are a company that has revenues, mm-hmm. we have right now we have positive cash flow and we have uh, s- several revenue streams that make us a company that that you know unlike your typical expiration company where you're, you're hoping to hit something mm-hmm. big I think the best way to view Nicola Mining is four parts. Part one is we have a mill. And we have a a mill that has approximately $45 million of infrastructure. We are fully permitted. We have a permit that allows us to mill material from anywhere in British Columbia, as long as we're not changing the way we're milling by providing 10 days notice to the Ministry of Mining. That's very significant. Yes. We don't have to go through an environmental impact study on, on different materials. We have a, a line tailings facility that is among, could be the, considered the safest in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And we're a brownfield site, which we own. We own 1,000 acres outright. So so getting approximately 1,000 acres. So getting back to what is the near, you know, the m- m- near-term to mid-term plan of the company is we plan to continue milling uh, gold through our partnerships we have five partnerships as we speak and we are milling uh, from Gavin Mines which is public information we're taking their material from northern British Columbia they're shipping it to us and we're milling it and now that's gold it's gold and and under the partnerships they're very simple in that we pay for our milling costs. The miner pays for the transportation cost and the mining cost. We then take out the, the cost from uh, from the sales, mm-hmm. and then it's a 50-50 profit split. So we consider it, not, we, we don't view ourselves as toll millers. We view ourselves as partners because we unlock the value of these gold properties. And, and I think right now in British Columbia, because it's becoming more and more difficult to get a mill permit versus a mine permit yes the way to conceptualize this um, is is that essentially what we have is an airport and think of these small gold projects as airplanes and they need a place to land and we're the airport for these small gold projects and we feel them up and they can go back and mine some more and we both benefit we also have on our property we have um the We will start taking soils, and uh, which are s- salt-contaminated soil and fly ash from the nearby Merritt Green okay. Energy Plant. And under the agreement of the fly ash agreement, we will take 7,500 tons of material for the fly ash, which is it's essentially carbon. It's burnt yep. trees. And it's fertile. So we'll blend that with sand on our site. Uh, that's positive cash flow. The soils are positive cash flow, and we have an agreement in place uh, where we will receive approximately $6 a ton net minus commissions on the soil that we'll put on our lower tailings facility, which is not part of the mining. Now, getting to the exploration side, um, oh, sorry, and before I talk about that, we also have Treasure Mountain, which is a fully permitted mine that we have up off the Coquihalla and that's a silver property and we can look at reopening that and, and the, the, the the unique thing about Treasure Mountain is that it's it's a high-grade silver property there is level one stope to we have in level one stope to a 43101 compliant 430,000 ounce of, of resource left of which seventy percent of the mining costs have already been incurred. That includes the raises from from the eleven raises. Eight have been completed, so mm-hmm. it's really extracting the silver and shipping it to our site where we're able to mill it. But w- you know, it depends on the price of silver what whether we reopen that or not. And okay, and now we get to the exploration side, and really, fuel Copper is an elephant, and I I don't think that. Uh, We really can fully comprehend what the potential of this is. I think we are very excited about it But our management team is We're not promoters. We're we're, we we execute there. There's a There's a Japanese saying that uh, says the smart eagle hides its claws So we're not gonna we're not out there telling the world what we're going to be doing We're doing it and then telling the world what we did and so I think that with Thule Copper, what we know is we know that the embayment zone where we hit mm-hmm. the 85 meters of 1.1% is a very very exciting zone that will uh, we will do exploration on that next year, and I'm I'm pretty excited of of and I'm not going to get into details as to what I believe we have. We'll let the market know what we have next year. But I'm very excited about and the Titan Queen which is is almost as exciting as as the embayment now the embayment is is Scarn It's part of the continuation of the historical Scarn and the Titan Queen is is a porphyritic type of system which is a kilometer away from from where the embayment zone is but we know from the mineralization and the type of rock there that we are very close to SCARN mineralization. Now, what what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means that we're very close to something very large. Does it mean that it's gonna be super economical? I'm not gonna make that statement, but looking at the side of the property where our SCARN is a very high grade, yep. And the mineralization on top of, of the where we drilled at Titan Queen, mm-hmm. where we also had over 1% copper, uh, it's, it's exciting. And so those are two very, very high priority targets that we will focus on over the next
2: 12 months. Over the next 12 months. Okay. Um, Peter, again, thank, thanks again for coming and taking the time to speak with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Once again, we've been speaking with Peter Espig, the President and CEO of Nicola Mining. If you'd like more information on Nicola, go to miningstockreport.com or nicolamining.com and get a copy of their latest investor relations presentation or call their investor relations contact with any specific questions that you may have for the company. When we get back, we'll be talking about how to separate the monsters from the zombies through a methodical approach to due diligence. You're listening to the Mining Stock Report on the Voice America Network.
5: New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez gold trend of mining friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's Deposit is a Carlin style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp. The world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well funded and professionally managed, and we invite invite you to visit our website to learn more newlegacygold.com that's n u l e g a c y gold.com again n u l e g a c y gold.com
1: You are listening to The Mining Stock Report with Christopher Haugen. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to host at miningstockreport.com. Again, that's host at miningstockreport.com. Now, back to this week's show.
2: Welcome back to The Mining Stock Report. I'd like to take the rest of our hour uh, to discuss what separates the winners from the losers when it comes to investing in mining and gold stocks. Why do some people consistently come out ahead, while others seem doomed to repeat their mistakes over and over? The reality is, in many cases, it comes down to effort. Proper methodical due diligence takes effort. And sometimes, lots of effort. While performing due diligence won't eliminate risk, it can certainly mitigate it greatly. We're coming off a five-year bear market in metals, more specifically gold. And in 2016, there have been a number of gold stocks that have bounced off of 5-year lows posting 2-300% gains, some even greater than that. And yet, in the same environment, there are still countless other mining stocks that haven't budged even a few percentage points. Doesn't the high tide rise all ships? Well, in the case of gold stocks, obviously not. And why? The answer is pretty simple. The last five years have been tough on mining companies, all mining companies, from major producers to even the junior explorers. Mining and exploration are capital intensive activities, and the investment capital markets are notoriously difficult in bear markets for mining stocks to raise even a modest amount of money. So what's been the result of the past five years? Well, it's been a thinning of the herd, or as some have suggested, the zombie apocalypse for mining stocks. This five-year period has allowed much of the cream to rise to the top. Skilled management has endured through this tough period and continue to raise the dollars necessary for operations despite the difficult environment. While their lesser or weaker brethren have turned tail and run, it seems like a classic fight or flight response. That isn't to say that all mining companies that choose to go into financial resource conservation mode are now zombies. Some were simply being fiscally responsible. But there are many others that have essentially conducted next to no operation for several years now, largely due to a lack of financial resources and or an inability to raise said resources. This is where a methodical approach to due diligence can allow you, the retail investor, to really capitalize. There are literally thousands of mining companies creating an incredible amount of noise for investors. You need to be able to filter through all this noise and focus your efforts on companies worthy of your attention. So how can we do this? Isn't this a little easier said than done? Truth be told, I never said this was going to be easy. Anything worth doing takes effort, a lot of effort. If it didn't, everyone would be doing it. But it isn't rock and science. This is where a bona fide hard work can ultimately prevail. Over the next few shows, we'll discuss the specifics of performing due diligence. I'll discuss due diligence with you and many of our guests. In the meantime, here are some basics that can separate you from your colleagues. Number one, go to a company's website. Download the investor relations presentation or email the company for investor package. But don't stop there. Second, in the US, go to EDGAR or Canada, CEDAR, and get the company's latest filings and financial information. Third, read the MD&A, management discussion and analysis. Read financials, see if the company has any money in the bank. Fourth, read the last few news releases, research the property, the region. And on all of this, make notes, especially on anything you don't understand and here's a tip and I still have a really hard time with this one but pick up the phone yeah you heard me right pick up the phone and call the company's investor relations contact talk to them ask specific questions especially anything you find confusing or unclear you'll gain more from one phone call than you will in searching the web or exchanging 20 emails in all the years that I worked in the investor relations and communications field I was absolutely blown away by the lack of calls made by retail investors do you know who does make that call professional investors people who make a living in the markets you know analysts institutional investors fund managers brokers wealth managers none of them especially the the successful ones were ever shy to pick up a phone and call Many would even call weekly for updates or clarification. That's because they understand the need for information in making an investment decision. And the fact is the personal touch of making a phone call can convey much more than just the facts or the figures. In the age of the Internet, we've become a society that will surf the web or send an email, but the last thing many of us want to do is pick up a phone and talk to someone we don't know on the other side, even when it's critical. And I guess what I'm trying to say to you is it's critical, especially if your goal is to make consistent gains in the market and especially if you invest in mining stocks. Well, that's all the time we have for you today. Join us next week for the next edition of the Mining Stock Report. I'd like to thank our guests, Mr. James Anderson of New Legacy Gold and Mr. Peter Espig of Nicola Mining for taking the time to speak with our audience. If you have any questions about the show or If there's a company that you would like for us to interview, you can reach us at our website, miningstockreport.com, or send us an email to host at miningstockreport.com, or tag us on Twitter with MiningStockRPT. So until next week, this is your host, Christopher Haugen, signing off and wishing you good luck in the markets.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Mining Stock Report. Please be sure to join Christopher Haugen again next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, for another edition of our program on the Voice America Business Channel. Here's hoping that you have a profitable week.